Can't you just be happy? Is that like somebody commands you to be happy? Is that something that you can just work up in your life? Happiness is a big deal. I mean, you know, you can go to um, Harvard and take classes in positive psychology, which is the study of happiness. There are people at Ivy League schools studying how to be happy. You can get a master's degree in positive psychology. That helps you know what it means to be happy. A survey that was done that was completed back in 2015 on how to be happy. And you know what? You know, they probably spent $100,000 trying to figure this out. And this was their answer on how to be happy. Hang out with people that make you feel good. Now, come on. That's not the problem. It's the people that don't make me feel good. And some of those are in my family. Some of them in my church, you know? That's the issue. I mean, how do I be happy among a lot of happenings that aren't good in my life? And I guess if you're going to define happiness, most of us define it by feeling good, right? I mean, I feel good about my health and feel good about my family. I feel good about my job. I'm feeling good about the weather. I'm feeling good about my finances. If I'm just generally feeling good, I guess that I'm happy. And you would have to admit that happiness for most of us, is a function of happenings in our life, and happenings swing from high to low to everywhere in between. So it's hard to stay happy because our happenings are just all over the place like a roller coaster. Every year they do a survey of the um, happiest countries in the world. And in 2017, the happiest country in the world was Norway. And second was Denmark, and third was Iceland, and fourth was Switzerland. The United States was 19th on that list. It's a whole lot of people out there that are really trying to be happy. And the question that I ask you this morning is that does God want us to be happy? And again, maybe you can define happiness better than I. I think happiness is feeling good, okay? It probably definitely is for Mark Metersball, who's been struggling now for months with his... Good to see you today, Mark. Mark's been struggling for months with his health, and he's finally made it back to church today. And I know when your health is stripped from you, you just want to feel better, man. And all that other stuff doesn't make too much difference anymore. But as we talk about happiness this morning, we're just going to define it as feeling good. And not only like physically, it says I feel good about stuff that's going on in my life. Does God want you to be happy? And there's some um, scriptures that we could certainly say that seem to lend that way. And the one I'm going to anchor it, our message in is 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. And I could have picked a lot of scriptures that people can say, well, look right there. God wants us to be happy. Look right here. This chapter, this verse, God wants us to be happy. And let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. Command those who are rich in, the, in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I mean, God provides everything for our enjoyment. So, I mean, that's easily you can say that God wants me to be happy because he's provided everything for my enjoyment. And if I'm enjoying something, I'm feeling good about it, and thus I'm happy. After all, it's in the Constitution, right? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness.
Well, I've, more than one time I've had a husband or wife in my office that weren't happy in their marriage and so they were going to get a divorce. Because God wants me to be happy. Uh, those words came out of their mouth. God wants me to be happy. There are a myriad of people this morning who are laying out of church because they wanted to be happy. And that happiness meant sleeping late or going to the golf course or going to the tennis tournament or the soccer tournament and all that. And none of that is wrong. But people are always trying and finding some way to try to be happy. And so if if, if we think we ought to be happy, especially us in the Christian world who have victory in Jesus, there's pressure to be happy. Because we don't want to have a bad testimony. And we all know Christians shouldn't go around with their lip hanging down on the ground. And so sometimes with this pressure to be happy, we can fake it. Right? And we can fake happiness. Because you're supposed to be happy, right? God is good. Uh, This is a day the Lord has made. The Bible says to rejoice always, several times. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice always. And we can fake it a lot of times, can't we? And where's probably the number one place that we fake it? In church, right? Because you do, you do know, and some of you don't want to admit it, we perform for one another. And we try to make each other think how spiritual we are. And if I come in with my lip hanging down on the ground, I'm certainly got sin in my life somewhere, man. I know that. Right? And I'm certainly, I'm just... I just, I'm not, you know, something wrong with my Christian life because God is so good and he graces me. And if, if I have stuff that's going on in my life, but let me tell you, when you've been through what Mark Mutersball has been through, man, it's tough to be happy. If happy means feeling good. If happiness is determined by the happening, happenings in your life. And so we fake it. We fake it. We fake it sometimes around unbelievers too, don't we? Because we want to be up and we want to have a good testimony and and we want to make a good uh, impression on unbelievers. And so we're just happy. And they see right through that. Have you learned by now that when you try to be evangelistic, the only thing the unbeliever wants out of you is authenticity? Have you learned that by now? You'll go so much farther with them if you're just real and honest and talk about the struggles that you have. Because that's what they think about Christians and why they don't buy into Christianity because we're all so fake. They just want you to be real. They just want you to be authentic. So we fake it a lot at church, and, and, and we, we, we fake it sometimes at, at, on our jobs or any situation that we want to be a, have a good testimony to someone else. Because after all, Christians should be happy. Sometimes we, sometimes we not only... We not only fake it sometimes we we just pursue it and we we buy this car and this new living room furniture and take this better vacation than last year and there's nothing wrong with any of that but we 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 get if we get an in-ground swimming pool and if we do this and get our kids in this college and this school and we pursue happiness like Solomon did in the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon in the book, the Bible says Solomon's the wisest man who ever lived, okay? And, and the book of Ecclesiastes is about his pursuit for enjoyment and happiness in life, 
Okay? And nine times in the book of Ecclesiastes, he said, the pursuit of happiness is like chasing after the wind. And he starts, he starts the book that way in 114 of Ecclesiastes. And, and he, tried to, he tried to find happiness in power. He tried to find happiness in possessions. He tried to find happiness in knowledge. He tried to find happiness in women. He married one. He married two. He married three. And the Bible says he has 700 wives. That's one, that is one man pursuing happiness, let me tell you. Now, how, how you jive 700 wives with being the wisest man who ever lived, I'll never figure those two things out because those are mutually exclusive, in my opinion. But the Bible says he had 700 wives and 300 concubines, which are basically 300 uh, women that would do whatever he wanted to do at any time. And his, the end of his book, nine times throughout his book, he says it's just like chasing after the wind. It's just, um, it's just chasing after wind. We fake it, we, we pursue it, and then sometimes we, we, we force it because I don't feel happy, but I'm supposed to be happy, and we just force it, and we just lie. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 20 is a fascinating little passage of Scripture. It says, like one who takes away a garment on a cold day, that wouldn't be a good thing, right? Also like one who puts vinegar on a wound, that wouldn't be a good thing, is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. You can't force happiness. I can't force you to be, you have a heavy heart. I can't force you to be happy. Why should I sing songs with you? The Bible says, mourn with those who mourn and weep with those who weep. You can't force it. Did you all... Did y'all hear the story? Max Licato was the first one to tell this story. And this is a preacher story. And I know the preacher stories get exaggerated like all stories get exaggerated. But Max Licato told this story, as I heard him speak one time, about this little uh, elderly lady who had a bird, a parakeet. And this parakeet just sung, 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 beautiful songs. And she loved her little bird that she called Chirpy. Well, the San Diego newspaper reports that one day, that she was doing as she did every month or so or whatever. She was cleaning Chirpy's cage. Okay, I, I never had a bird. I guess you got a clean cage, okay? And she was doing like she normally does. She went and bought this kind of small little vacuum cleaner to clean his cage. And whenever Chirpy saw the vacuum cleaner, he'd be afraid of it and run to the side of the cage. So she was cleaning the cage, and the telephone rang. And this was back when you had telephones sitting on your table and not in your pocket, okay? Way long, ancient, olden days type of stuff, Okay? So here she was cleaning the birdcage and the telephone rang and the nozzle of the vacuum cleaner went up and Chirpy got sucked in. And those, of course she freaks out and she freaks out and she hangs up the phone and she, she stops the vacuum cleaner and I know none of you men know this, if you get in the vacuum cleaner there's dirt in there, okay? When you clean it out, no, you men ever cleaned out a vacuum cleaner before. But yeah, there's dirt in there. So she opens it up and there's Chirpy. He's kind of dazed but he's dirty and he's got all this stuff all over him that comes off. Have you ever looked inside of those? That stuff's in your house all the time. And so he's got all this stuff all over him and so she takes him to the faucet and puts him under the uh, water to clean him off. Now, you know anything about birds, they don't like that at all. That's, 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 that's like putting a cat in the bath or something like that. And so he just threw a fit over that. And then so she took a hairdryer and, and blew him off. And, and the reporter that was reporting on this one says, how's he doing now? 
And she said, well, he's, he's okay, I guess, but he doesn't sing anymore. You know, when you've been through stuff like Chirpy's been through, you just can lose your song. And you don't sing songs to people who have a heavy heart. You don't force happiness on them. You weep with those who weep. And you mourn with those who mourn. So in an effort to be happy, we'll fake it and we'll chase after it and we'll force it too, which is all fake and hurts us and especially hurts us as a Christian and our authenticity and all that. So I ask you again, does God want you to be happy? I mean, does he really want you to be happy? Well, the Bible over and over again talks about the blessings God gives us. So, I mean, blessings are things that make us feel good and God wants to bless us. So I think there's no question that there's, I mean, there's a certain kind of happiness God wants to give us. But what I came to tell you this morning is, is happiness is not his ultimate goal for me and not his ultimate goal for you. There's something so much better that God wants for you than happiness. I think he, he wants you to be happy and however we're going to define that and all that. But that's like a serendipity. You know what I mean by that? A serendipity is something really cool you find as you're looking for something else. I lost my cell phone, and a serendipity of looking for my cell phone was the $20 bill I found under the bed. Okay, that's a serendipity. Okay, something good you find when you're looking for something else. And I think if God was, could talk to us, or if Jesus was, was, was here today, he would say that my personal happiness... And your personal happiness is a serendipity of something else. That God has more for you, better things than just your happiness. Wow, this is a weird message. I mean, this, this, this message is so counter to the ways of this world. This, and you have to be nuts to stand up and preach something like this. Because it is so absolutely counter to the way the world thinks. But I'm standing here to tell you that God is concerned with several things more than he's concerned with my personal happiness or your personal happiness. You know what he's concerned about? Maybe more than anything else. I don't know how you rank these things, but if I could rank them, he wants you, he wants you to be concerned with other people's happiness. All through God's word, he's trying to get my mind and my head and my heart off myself. You, every, all the way through scripture, he's, he's, trying to, he's trying to tell me that basically at my core, I'm a selfish human being. And he's trying to get me to have eyes for other people. Dr. Dennis Kinlaw was one of my mentors at Asbury Seminary, and he said, the essence of sin is a heart that's turned in toward itself. That's pretty good if you think about it. And what Christ-likeness is, is a heart that's turned out toward other people. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love God and love other people. He's, God is trying to make me a giving person, and a giving person means giving in so many different ways, but it's always fixed away from me. And so God is really, really concerned that I'm concerned with other people's happiness. And I'm just stupid enough to believe that he's probably 
if he could choose with me being concerned, being happy myself about stuff that happens to me or me being happy about someone else's happiness, he'd choose the latter. You know that in your family. How does it work in your family, husbands, when your happiness is the most important thing in the family? How does it work in your families, moms, when your happiness is the most important thing in the family? Don't most of the things that you get on your children about is they're trying to be happy irregardless of the other kids in the family? That may be the number one thing you get on your kids about. And at the core, that's, it's this, it's, they're selfish. I have to give a dollar to the kids when I tell a story on them, so leave I owe you a book, okay? We went to Coney Island yesterday. You know Coney Island's still open? Man, it is redneck heaven at Coney Island, let me tell you. <laughs> Wow. Chris, Christopher came out and we left. He goes, man, there was a lot of cussing going on there today, man. It's redneck heaven at Coney Island. But we love that pool. Largest recirculating pool in the world. Okay? And I got half price tickets on Craigslist, so I, I went, okay? <laughs> and so Levi took a friend and I said, Levi and Trey, I said, you all stay together. Christopher, you can go wherever you want to, but you two stay together. Don't wander off. You should stay together. I'm sitting right here, and if I'm not right here, I'm taking a little walk, but I'll be back shortly, okay? I'm right here. So you all go in your water park wherever you want to, and you got the big pool, and they got three or four little water slides, and it's, a, it's an area there of, of, I don't know, three or 400 yards, and I said, y'all just go where you want to. I'm right here. All right. Three hours later, I haven't seen Levi. I walked around the pool 27 times probably. It's one of the last days of the year, so everybody's there. And so Christopher comes back. Christopher had gone off to their, they got a little amusement park there with some, with some little rides. He had gone off to ride some of the rides, and he came back. Have you seen your brother? Well, I saw him out there in the water someplace with 600 other people out there in the water. And, and I said, well, if you see him, tell him to stay here. I want to talk to him. And so he, Levi didn't come back. Then finally, after walking, walking, I came back to Christopher. You seen Levi? Yeah, he's back here. He back, pointed back at the little kid thing where you spray everybody and, and all have wars with the water and everything. I should have known that's where he was anyway. All right? So for three hours, he was gone. Now, he never once in that three hours said, maybe I gotta, ought to go check in with Dad. No, I don't want to do that. He wasn't disobedient, and I forgot to tell him, although I thought it was assumed. <laughs> hey, Dad, Dad, you just didn't tell me. But Levi wasn't being disobedient. He was just being Selfish. He was caring about his fun. And he's 12 years old. He's brain damaged. You can't expect anything more than that out of him. He was just concerned about his own happiness. Now, I'm so glad Sue wasn't there. I'd have had her on medication by, by then. If, if, most of the trouble we have in our families is about one of the members of their families trying to be happy irregardless of what other people in the family think about it. 
How does your job work if your boss is just concerned about his or her happiness and doesn't give a rip about you? How does your work go? How does, your, how, does, how does your work go? You love your boss if your boss is trying to make your job good and is trying to make your job a fulfilling for you and is letting you have ownership and you have some authority. But if this boss is just all about him and it's all circled around him or her on that, you don't, you don't enjoy working at that place. You see, God wants you yeah, he wants you to be happy, but he wants to make you a person that is concerned about someone else's happiness. He, he, he really, really does. God also wants to make you the type of person that can go through some unhappy times, even trials in your life, because you know that they will help your character. Um, if I'm lifting weights at the, at, the, at the gym, those first few reps, they're not really making me any stronger. It's, it's that ninth or tenth rep that's breaking down my muscles, and when muscles get broken down, they come back stronger. It's, it's when, you, when, you, when you put stress on yourself, when you push yourself out of your comfort zone, that's when we grow in life. You go out, you go out, and you run the first two or three hundred uh, yards, and you're feeling pretty good. And and but you know, then you get then you get to be a quarter of a mile and a half a mile, and and there's this big knot in the side. Uh, uh, there's this this huge knot right here. That's when you're getting in shape. If you stop right there at the first point of resistance, at the first point of resistance, you're not going to ever get in better shape. I, I can go out every day and play tennis with Christopher. Now, I am light years better tennis player than Christopher. I can do that every day. I'll never get a bit better. Never. Probably get worse. But only when I go play someone better than me that runs me all over the court, back and forth, up and back, and stresses me out, that's the only time I'm getting better as a tennis player. Because when we go through difficult times, good things can happen to us. Our character can be formed. We can become stronger. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 is a, is a verse of Scripture that I read at a, at a lot of funerals. Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our trouble so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves, next thing says, receive from God. The God who comforts us, and then we can comfort other people with the same comfort that we ourselves receive from God. Why do bad things happen to to good people, that's a sliver of the answer. So I can help you just like God has helped me. So I can comfort you. When I went through that trial, this is how God comforted me. Now let me comfort you with the same comfort that I myself was comforted by God. It's through those difficult times that that we become stronger. Romans chapter one, uh, chapter five, excuse me, is a fascinating verse of scripture. 
Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. There's a lot of preaching there, but here's what I want to get at. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory, <laughs> we also glory in our sufferings. What an what a unbelievably stupid thing to say. We glory in our sufferings. What does the world think of that? We glory in our, and why do we glory in our sufferings, Paul? Because we know that perseverance, suffering produces perseverance, perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. <laughs> he's not worried about your happiness nearly as much as he's worried about your character. And your character is not, is not formed in easy times, it's formed in the fire. He's not care, he doesn't care about your happiness more than he cares about waking you up spiritually. And there are times that difficult times come into our life when he gives us a wake-up call spiritually. We all need wake-up calls. My, 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 my alarm went off at 4.30 this morning. It jars me every, every Sunday. I hate it. I despise it. But I've got to have it because I'll sleep straight through it. And, and, and God gives us wake-up calls spiritually, doesn't he? He'll, he'll let us go through some difficult times so we can refocus on him. So we can get right back to where we should have been all along. Don't turn the little book of Amos. It's one of those books it's hard to find anyway. But in Amos chapter 4, the Bible says God sent rain in the form of flood. God sent uh, famine. Uh, God uh, sent plague. And God, in, in the words of the Bible, let people overthrow them like he let people overthrow Sodom and Gomorrah. And the reason behind all of those is so that you would return to me. Well, God, I can get it. You allowed those things to happen, right? No, the Bible says he sent them because there's something more important than your happiness. There's something more important than you feeling good and your comfort. And that's for you to be focused on me and for you to get right back where you need it to be. God, God will give you a wake-up call. We do it to our kids, don't we, moms and dads? And we do it to our kids because we love them. And if we can love in a human way, God, what kind of love does God have us? And he's not human. He is love. And if I let my boy go through, I, did, I tell Sue all the time, I say, all right, Levi didn't do his homework the night before, and she's going to get him up 15 minutes early. I said, don't get him up early to do it. Let him get a bad grade on it. Let him get in trouble with the teacher. Let him get a detention. If I save him from all these things, I'm not teaching him anything. He needs a wake-up call. And I'm not just picking on Levi. All of you could tell that same story about your kids in here, couldn't you? We all need wake-up calls. The worst thing that ever happened to me in my life, the worst happenings that ever happened to me in my life, the worst time I ever went through. Some of you know that before I was a Christian, I went through a divorce, and it was through that divorce that God got a hold of my life. I don't know where I would be today 
If I hadn't gotten waken, woke up, that's a, that's a cool word now. Have you heard that? On, have you, do you read that? People say, I'm woke. I'm woke. Right? Right, kids? Say, I'm cool. You don't think I'm cool. I'm cool. I know all these words, man. But what, what do they mean? They mean they're awakened to something that they, they weren't awakened to before. I'm woke. Let's, let's get woke, Harold. Me and you get woke together, buddy. I tell you. But that woke me up. My legs were cut out up from under me. It was the worst happenings ever. But I tell you, if that hadn't happened, I think I'd still be going down that road. Because I was so hard-headed, I had to have something catastrophic happen to me to wake me up. Now, God didn't cause that. My sin caused that. I, I was a, can I say scumbag? I was a scumbag of a husband, okay? Can I say that? If I can't, Sue will tell me afterwards, all right? <laughs> I was. But God used that. And there's no telling where I would be in all all the blessings of my life have come through the worst. The most of the blessings of my life have come through that worst experience of my life. Some of you could testify, could stand and testify, couldn't you? God wants, he wants me to be happy, but that happiness is a serendipity of focusing on him to getting all of that right. And there are things in my life and things in your life that he's more concerned about than our happiness. Us to be focused on other people, go through trials that will make us stronger in our character, to wake us up when we get off track. And let me go through one more real quick. This is probably a sermon all in itself. But sometimes he wants to do it to expand his kingdom. Okay, he, he will allow us to go through sacrifices to expand his kingdom. The story is of Jonah, who didn't want to go to Nineveh. He hated, he was prejudiced against those Ninevites. Read the story, it won't take you, it's only four chapters, it won't take you very long. He didn't want to go, he was God's man, and God says, go preach repentance to Nineveh. And he didn't want to go, and he got on a boat headed for Tarshish. And God threw him off of that boat and he got into the belly of a whale and made the whale throw him up on the land. And he still didn't want to go. He reluctantly didn't want to go because you know why he... <laughs> did, the, the Bible says why he didn't want to go because they'll repent. I know they will. And I don't want them to repent. I'd rather them burn in hell. Now that burn in hell, I added that to it. But that's what he said. He said they'll repent. I know they'll repent. And God says, there's 120,000 of them in that city that don't know their right hand from their left hand. And I want you to go. And this reluctant prophet went and sacrificed his enjoyment, his happiness, even laid his prejudice, racism at the altar, and expanded the kingdom. Could God be asking me to sacrifice myself in some way to do something that is not necessarily the biggest enjoy, thing I'll enjoy that'll make me really happy 
and giddy, but he wants to expand the kingdom. There's 120,000 in that city that don't know their right hand from their left hand, he told Jonah, and I need someone to go preach to them. I think he wants you to be happy, but that happiness is a serendipity of other things. That happiness is a serendipity of other things. Max, I listen to Max Licato a lot. I'm going to tell two Max Licato stories. Max Licato, um, and, and him and a lot of other preachers have told this story. We all swipe it from each other on the internet. You know how that goes. And Tell a story about a fish. You say, you take fish out of water and put it on the sand. Is that fish happy? Put a, li- put a little Mrs. Fish right there by him or in a little skimpy little bathing suit. Is, 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 is he happy there with little Mrs. Fish right there beside him? Give him $100,000. Is he happy right there? Give, give him all the little whatever little fishies eat. Give him all that. Give him all that he can possibly eat right there. Is he happy? No, he's not happy. Because he's not made for the sand. He's made for the water. And we're not made for this earth. We're made for another world. And we're not made to be happy with temporal things. Because that new bedroom suit will wear out. And that new house will get old. And that new car, oh, that new car smell. Isn't that cool, man? That's like a drug, man. That's like a drug. Hey, listen to what happened yesterday on the way to Coney Island. We went, we went down uh, 42 to Waynesville, the, across the le- through Waynesville to Lebanon to get on 71 that way. And so right on the other side of Right Cycle Apartments there, there's this house I really love. As you're heading toward Waynesville, it's on the right. And it's a beautiful house. It's got a nice little pond, really nice landscape, and beautiful flyers all the way around. It's probably about seven or eight acres in there. An old country farmhouse looks really cool. I've always admired that house. It had a for sale sign on it. And a thought came in my mind, but I had this message in my head too. A thought came in my mind, you would really be happy. And I thought, well, that's just chasing the wind. Because I'm going to have the same problems at that house right there that I got in 339 Brush Row Road. That's what the enemy comes. He comes and lies to us. Well, Mark, if you just stretch your all's budget just a little bit, you could afford that. And you would really be happy in that house. Nothing wrong with a nice house. That's not what I'm saying. Psalm 97, 12 is what we're, where we're finishing here. Psalm 97, 12, at least in the, the New Living Bible, says... May all who are godly be happy. Other translations will say be glad. Be happy. Where are you happy? In the Lord. There's nothing wrong with being happy. But where is the happiness found? In the Lord. In the Lord. Like the fish is not made for the sand. We're not made for the temporal things of this world. 
and we'll never find ultimate happiness there. You know what the will of God is for you? 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says that the will of God is for you to be happy. Oh, no, that's not what it says. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. That's a big old word. We don't use that word very often. You never use that word in the break room at work, do you? It means to be set apart. It means to be fully committed to God. It means to be all in. You can be more creative than I can on that. That is God's will for you. And it's like, if you got that, then all this happiness will come along as a serendipity. The main thing is being all in. And Paul even adds to that verse in, in 1 Thessalonians 5.23 or something like that. I didn't put it on the screen. Paul prays that these people would be, these Thessalonians would be entirely sanctified. Entirely sanctified. Sanctification is a long process of growing in Christ and being discipled, but there's also a time that you become sanctified. But then that sanctification carries on. Does that make any sense? And, and if I'm sanctified, if I'm all in, if I'm all God's, then man, my desires are going to be his. And I'm going to be happy. And even when the happening, happenings in my life aren't very happy, I'm in the Lord. I'm in Christ. Great is his faithfulness. His grace is sufficient for me. And I could go on and on and on. It's not hard. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then what the verse say? All these things will be added to you as well. But see, we're seeking a lot of other things in the name of happiness, aren't we? I'll put myself right there where God says, be centered in me, be focused in me, allow me to be your source and watch you live a happy life. Sanctify is a big old word, you know, scared word. Sometimes you think of sanctify, you think of some old lady with her hair up in a bun and no makeup and long dress and church lady type of people, you know. What's it mean to be sanctified? It means to be filled with God's Spirit. Many times in the Bible, it'll be talking about Christians, but somebody that's already a Christian, but it'll say, Paul, comma, filled with the Spirit, comma. And we as Christians, Paul writes in Ephesians, that we should be filled with the Spirit. He's writing to Christians, he said, be filled with the Spirit. It just means all in. It means walking in the fullness of God's blessing that he has for you. And how does that fullness of the Spirit happen? Jesus said it in Luke chapter 11, verse 13. He said, if, if me, though I'm evil, know how to give good gifts to Christopher and Levi, how much more the Heavenly Father will give you the Holy Spirit if you will just ask. Ask. How can you be happy if you have one foot in the world 
and one foot in the, church, in the Christian life. The Bible calls that in James a double-minded man. And the Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. The only way you can be happy is to get on both sides and be all in. And be all in. Is that you? I mean, does that describe you? Does that describe you? You're all in, man. You're fully committed. That doesn't mean you're a perfect person. It doesn't mean you're never, ever going to sin again. It doesn't mean that, you, you know, that everything's going to go hunky-dory in your life, you know? I'm not a perfect person, but you know what God does to you when you ask to go all in? You want to be perfect. And I'm not ashamed, and I don't, I don't feel sanctimonious to stand in front of you and say, I want to be a perfect person. I'm not. I fall short. But my heart wants that. And God did that, not me. God did that. He did it for me in April of 1994 at the altar at Hughes Auditorium at Asbury College where I responded to the message, similar message than this. My life has not been all rose, wine and roses since then, but I've been focused and I've been centered in him. And ever, all of my happenings have not been great. And I've dealt with some of them good and some of them not so good. But I never have had a doubt that the main thing was the main thing and who the main thing was in my life. I'm, I'm late already. Sue tells me I need to start wearing my glasses when I preach because then I can see what time it is. But this story just came to my mind, and let me tell it to you. And I'm just going to trust God that he just planted. I didn't say this in the first service. I don't get up and like to talk too much, and I know some of you are uncomfortable with me talking about my divorce. I'm not that comfortable with it anyway, especially with my boys in the room. But I was, you know, she left me, and I became a Christian in the middle of that. So I became a Christian, and then three or four months later, she came to me in the apartment that I was living in and said she wanted to patch it up. And I said, you know what? Um, There'll be nothing more than I want. I've been praying for this. It's what I want. I said, but I looked her in the eye and I said, but I will not do it at the expense of my Christianity. She wasn't a Christian. That was a turning point for me in my Christian life. You see, I was all in. And even though that would have made me happy that that would be restored, I realized it wasn't the most important thing. How about you? You have the main thing, the main thing. Our servers are coming to the table. Our salvation and our sanctification is wrought for us by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we are so much more than just forgiven. So much more than just forgiven. Father, take this message that I've delivered in the best way I know how, but fill in all the gaps for me. Speak to your people about what will truly make them happy in life. Would you sanctify some people today? 
can they be all in, fully committed. In Jesus' name, amen.